Hello, Devils fans and hockey fans, and welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. We're back again in the midst of some exciting NHL news, which we're about to get to. But before that, I have to introduce my co-host and uh, consistent Devils source of knowledge. That's John Fisher. He is the know-all of the New Jersey Devils. And John, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. I hope you are doing well, Dan. I'm doing all right. I'm uh, excited to go over this game with you because unlike a lot of games we've covered, we were talking last time about how either we do an old era game of the Devils where, you know, they're, they're a contending team or they're in the playoffs somewhere or it's a vintage Martin Brodeur performance. I think the only exception was that game we saw against the Penguins uh, in 80... What was it? 86 Seven. or 87. Okay. Yeah. So in the mid eighties, in the, in the yeah mid to late eighties, we saw that one regular season game and this game in terms of context and setup felt a little bit like that. So we're talking about October 12th, 1993. So it's early, early on in the season. And this season, as we know, would end in a brutal conference finals loss to our hated rivals. But before that, we would be remiss to mention that this team was not expected to do much. This is a big thing that the broadcasters were mentioning at the very end of the game. But yeah, we have Devils versus Winnipeg Jets at the top of the season. And these are some, you know, this lineup that the Devils had looks pretty close to the one that won in 95 in terms of a lot of the major players. But this Jets lineup is full of a lot of big names from throughout hockey history. And it was interesting to see how they work together, especially uh, players like Timo Solani. Absolutely. Now, just to add further to the context here, and this was mentioned by the broadcast. Now, the game we watched was from the CKND broadcast, meaning it was Winnipeg's announcers, Winnipeg's focus and so forth. But they did make a point of it to say that uh, this is Jacques Lemaire's fourth game behind the bench. Uh, Herb Brooks was the head coach of the previous season. And while that team made the playoffs, uh, they won 87 points. They got bounced in the first round. Herb Brooks did not like Claude Lemieux, among other reasons. And Lou Lamorello said, well, I'm going to pick my leading scorer instead of you, Herb mm-hmm. Brooks. So he did that, and in came in Jacques Lemaire and his assistant Larry Robinson. And this is where the magic was about to happen, um, you know, because most people correctly associate Jacques Lemaire and Larry Robinson with the rise of the New Jersey Devils. The 93-94 season would be the first season where the Devils would earn over 100 points in the regular season, which, again, was a massive increase over where they were in the previous season and was definitely not expected. And, of course, they issued in an era of the quote-unquote neutral zone trap, although you didn't see it in this particular (laughs) game. And this is why this game is really interesting to me. Not only is it because it's a throwback to an earlier time, and it's one of Martin Brodeur's early games. I know he played the four games in 92-93, in but this was his first home start of this particular season in what would be his Calder winning tra- campaign. But also to highlight the fact that it wasn't like Lemaire came in and the team just started shutting teams down overnight. It wasn't that simple. There was very much a lot of time needed to get everybody on board into the system and even put the system into place. And, you know, to that end, you know, you got to see – Winnipeg take advantage of that. That being said, the Devils were coming into this game with three straight wins, and spoiler alert, they would win this game as part of a seven-game winning streak to start the season, which is a great way to start your uh, coaching debut with a new organization. Mm-hmm. So this is this is an interesting game from many different standpoints. And as you mentioned, Dan, there's a lot of names, memorable names of the past on both the Devils and the Winnipeg Jets, including the infamous Ty Dillon. Yeah, so Ty... Oh. Ty- 
Ty Domi got up to some shenanigans this game, which we'll get to. But I, I also want to point out that this is, what, the third or fourth game we've seen the Devils play against Keith Kachuk on a different team. We've seen them play Keith Kachuk as a flyer, Keith Kachuk as a Red Wing, and now Keith Kachuk as a Jet. So he is very, very prominent, very familiar with everyone on the Devils roster, uh, not just by this point, but pretty much throughout his career in a lot of the games we've watched. Um, you know, this wasn't a playoff game, so it wasn't quite the same battle level, but he was very, very present in the game as he has been in all the games we've covered against him. So that's just something I, I felt worth pointing out. He's a consistent figure in these games that we've watched and pretty much any game that he's participated in, he's been a major factor. Absolutely. He got a lot of love from Don Cherry, who stopped in into Winnipeg's the CKND studio since he had a uh, new uh, restaurant opening up in Winnipeg. Um, you know, the one restaurant in Winnipeg, because <laughs> Winnipeg's not that big of a city. But more seriously, folks, um, yeah, Kachuk, was, this was a watershed year for Kachuk. He, he would end up leading the Jets in points. Uh, back then, they had 84 games played instead of the standard 82. He had 81 points and 41 goals. And you could see from how he was playing that he was just a constant threat. He was constantly crashing the net like Chris Kreider would do years later. And he would just cause a lot of havoc. And he was just a big, tough, skilled dude, and he was a hard guy to stop. So, you know, this was definitely young Keith Kachuk, and you got to see why there was a lot of buzz around his name among Solane, Thomas Steen, Alex Zamnov, and um, Nelson Emerson. Yes. So, well, so let's get into it because all of those guys would factor in uh, very early in the game. But before we get to that first scoring play. We got some context here with Bob Asensa versus a 21-year-old Martin Brodeur getting his first home start, as you mentioned. And that this line that you bring up of Solani, Jamnov, and um, who was the third one on there? It was Steen. Steen. Thomas Steen. So, yeah, Alexander Steen's uh, father. This line was completely all over the place. This line, this game was a story of three periods, but this line was the one consistent thing for the Jets throughout all three. They they really had good synergy. They really worked well with each other. And I would say the Garen line on the devil's end was almost the antithesis of this in this game. <laughs> I'm glad you said the antithesis. I would have been a lot meaner. Yeah, uh, no, they, they yes. were, ugh, ugh. They were yeah. bad. They were Zero bad. chemistry. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but Steen, Salon, and, and Jamnov, you know, is a classic example of you put your three most talented uh, skaters together, and as mentioned during the broadcast, if you give them an opportunity, they will make you pay, and they did make the Devils pay uh, in the first period of this game of a perfect example of that in, in action. I would say that uh, the second line on Winnipeg, Keith Kachuk, Luciano Borsato, and Nelson Emerson also gave the Devils quite a few mm -hmm. problems, and they were ultimately more productive, but um, that's mostly due to Kachuk being Kachuk as opposed to, say, Luciano Bersato being, you know, amazing because, you know, we, nobody talks about Luciano Bersato in New Jersey. Yeah, Bersato— <laughs> Or anywhere else, for that matter. Bersato found himself in a position where, uh, you know, he was around the net to clean up some rebounds. He got some tips on it, but really Kachuk was the engine of that line, and, you know, Emerson, same deal. They, they were less engineering the play than finishing them. Unlike the Solani uh, Jamnov line, which was like eyes in the back of their head, the passes were very, very crisp. They they were really seeing each other that game, and it was impressive to watch. But you know, luckily for the Devils, they didn't put away that many opportunities. They had plenty of chances, though. Oh, they did, and they would they would get there. But um, it is interesting to see that what the lines were like for the early Lemaire Devils. You had Ken Danico skating next to Scott Stevens. You had uh, Bruce Driver with Vitas 
Vyacheslav Fedosov. Mm-hmm. And thank you for not making fun of me there. And a young Yaroslav Modri next to Bruce Driver. Um, we did not get Jason Miller, 1991, uh, first overall. I'm um, sorry, not first overall. Uh, first round draft right. Jason Miller. Um, so the defense was not quite to that traditional 1995 style that we're used to seeing. Your top line for the Devils was John McLean, Stefan Richet, and rookie, or not rookie actually, but younger guy, Corey Millen, who was uh, with the team for a, for a little bit. Followed by Bernie Nichols, Claude Lemieux, and Valeri Zelopukin, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Valeri Zelopukin, according to the Winnipeg <laughs> announcers. And, um, you know, those were the guys that drove the offense. And Nichols was definitely a guy that uh, when he was brought in, he was seen as a scorer. And you got to see examples of that uh, before he would uh, leave the, before he would move on after this season. Well, it's interesting to note also that throughout the broadcast, there the – it's amazing how much the perception of this team changed as the season went on because the broadcast spent a lot of time emphasizing the Devils' offensive prowess. And when you think of a Jacques Lemaire team, the offense is not the first word that comes to mind. It's not like it wasn't there, but it's right. not like the prominent um, the prominent hallmark of those teams. So it's it's interesting what the perception was of New Jersey and how little anyone knew about Jacques Lemaire's coaching style where – it seemed to this system of the trap just took everyone by surprise. It, it was something that, like you said, took a while to um, to implement properly. But once it happened, I don't think a lot of people were prepared for it because their idea of no. what the Devils would be was based on this potent offensive uh, front line that they had. The Devils had a lot of pretty decent goal scorers and scoring defensemen. So I understand why people maybe weren't prepared for the chokeout game that they played, but I think the second period is very representative of this in this game. But this first one was almost all Winnipeg Jets, except for a brief three-minute span. Yep, and um, you know the first major event of the game is, uh, well, Nichols gets robbed by Asensa's glove. Asensa, who was a 92 and... uh, Vesna candidate as well. So this is not a scrub yep. of a goalie. No, this yeah, this is not a jabroni. This is not some guy pulled up. This is not a five foot eight smallest guy. In the the Saint Romano. <laughs> Romano. No, no, this is a guy that could play possibly <laughs> until um, the third. <laughs> until the third. Oh yeah, and it's remarkable that this is 1993, and the players are fouling each other like it's the 80s. Like Garen literally fought through eight hooks by Chris King <laughs> to skate the puck up the ice before uh, the crash line, which actually was together. Yep. They were. I was surprised that they were together this early in the season. Holik, McKay, and uh, Peluso. And Holik decided, I'm going to egregiously hook Emerson <laughs> down. And that's your first penalty of the game. And then the broadcasters ring up, oh, well, New Jersey's averaging 44 penalty minutes in their first three games. 44 like, oh, penalty minutes. Can we, uh, can we linger on that one for a bit? In three games, average of 44. Well, well you know, Dan, they did. L- let me take a step back here. They, they played Tampa Bay in the first game. And then they had a back-to-back uh, with Washington. And I'm just quickly seeing precisely who and what I'm guessing Stevens was involved in some way, given it was Washington. So the first the first game was very light. Not not very much to write home about. It was also a 2-1 game where Ken Danico scored the game-winning goal. <laughs> Amazing. <in the> third. <laughs> no, but the, it was the Washington game where thing – the second game against Washington where things got out of control. Just to briefly cover this, your third period featured – from 1734 onward, Craig Berube and Bobby Holik had a fight where Berube got two two for cross-checking, two as an instigator, five for fighting, and ten for a game misconduct. So we got the rare 19 minutes. <laughs> Jason Smith got a game misconduct in a fight at 1925. 
Keith Acton got an instigator. Randy McKay got a fight. Enrico Citrone got a fight in a game misconduct. Um, Acton also got fighting in misconduct. Kevin Hatcher had a fight. Peluso had an instigator fight in misconduct. Alan May and Ken Danico had misconducts. Stevens, Keith Jones, and Claude Lemieux had misconducts. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it was uh, less... The Devils finished the game with 89 penalty minutes to the, 90, the Capitals' 93. <laughs> by the way, the Devils won this game 6-3. So there were like 13 total players left by the end of it, huh? Well, the last two, Keith Jonesy and, and Lemieux, got uh, their misconducts at minute oh, 20, okay. meaning it was after the gotcha. game. Yeah, that one game against Washington... Um, they didn't like each other back then, Dan. They just didn't like each <laughs> that other. That one definitely screwed and with the Claude Lemieux was involved. <laughs> and even if you weren't a normal rival, Claude Lemieux was very good at getting under your skin. And you would learn to hate the Devils. Voted most hated player in a poll. I think they said it was Sports Illustrated. Uh, that's yep. He's the classic example of guy you want on your team and hate to play against. And and you got to see great examples of that. Ex- both the good and the bad, honestly. The, the good being... Obviously, generating goal-scoring opportunities, drawing penalties, and the bad being taking it on sportsmen like here or there and uh, getting into trouble. But again, nothing was too detrimental to them. But this first period, we keep going, and the next major event, I would say, is that offensive zone hook, which was kind of lazy by Bobby Holik. Yep. And uh, the broadcasters did point out, because back then, Holik was a fairly young man back then. He was a whopping uh, 23 years old. Uh, going on 30. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just a lazy, lazy penalty. They mentioned, oh, if Holik's going to make it in this league, he's got to you know sharpen up his focus and work harder. <laughs> well, he took that to heart. Yeah. Uh, even though he would still take stupid penalties here and there because, you know. It happens. It happens to everyone. It's fine. It happens. Exactly. Uh, the Dells did a very good job on this kill. Fedosov looked incredible on this penalty kill. And you got to see why they, you know, the Devils made it. Why he's a big deal. Why he's a Hall of Famer. He wasn't just a guy that just came over from Soviet, the Soviet Union, and played hockey. No, he was very effective into his 30s and even early 40s. So you got to see a bit of that, and I enjoyed that part, Dan. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, the penalty kill was excellent this game for the Devils. The penalty kill really did not allow many opportunities. Except, I think. With the exception of one power play that Winnipeg had, they didn't put more than, what, two shots on net in a single power play? Correct. And none of them really phased Berdor. They weren't like, oh my goodness, look at that save. It's like, nope, he made a save. Let's move on. Clear the puck. Very little threat level. Very little threat level. So the Devils kill that, and then the Devils go on the attack, and then... So Miranov straight up trips Millen. They call interference. Yes. And the broadcasters thought it was a hold. (laughs) We get to see a good the power play unit of Stevens, Niedermeyer, Nichols, Lemieux, and Zelipukin. I'm sorry, Zelipukin. <laughs> yep. And um, they had good possession, but they had no shots on net. And I'm reminded that, yep, I'm familiar with this concept of a bad power play. <laughs> um, but they were moving the puck well. That, that opening wave had some huge, you know, prominent NHL names on it history-wise. But they were they were doing a good job moving the puck. They just didn't really direct it towards the net at all. No, there were quite a few misses, and unfortunately back then they didn't count misses, so, you know, I would have liked to have known, you know, officially how many of them mm-hmm. missed. Anyway, so the Devils get that killed, and then we get a breakdown that leads to the game's first goal. Mm-hmm. Now, Danico, mind you, Danico's got hair, and he's looking a lot more spry in, in, back in 1993. He throws a huge hit on Solani, like absolutely massive. Separates him from the puck, just what you wanted to make it. 
The problem is that Dano sort of takes himself out of the play with the hit. Right. <laughs> so the puck's kind of in no man's land. Stefan Kintal jumps up and then immediately one touches it to the right to uh, Jamnov. And Stevens is in trouble here because Stevens has to respect Jamnov. Danico drops back to take care of Solane, but nobody take, nobody's taking Steen coming down the middle. Right. So Jamnov slides it in, and Steen one-times it and tucks it in five-hole. It's 0-1 bat, you know, in favor of the bad mm-hmm. guys. And um, it's exactly what you said earlier. You know, when the, this line was on the ice, they would put together some plays that you just go, oh, my goodness. Like, uh, what, what is anyone supposed to do about it, really? But the more important thing is, how can you leave any one of these three guys open? Yeah, exactly. Like, it, let's say Dano decided to step up in the slot instead of taking Solani. Let's be real. Jamnov probably would have slid the puck across to Solani, and then Solani would have had to tap mm-hmm. Like, that's just how things worked with this line and with the Winnipeg Jets back then. I mean, this wasn't the 72 goals – I'm sorry, the 76 goal season by Solani. Um, but, you know, he definitely had that reputation, mm-hmm. and deservedly so. And this line put together – you know, Winnipeg was on a road trip to start this season. This line put – you know, combined for eight points against the Capitals. So th- it was no joke. This was easily Winnipeg's driver as a as a whole. Maybe not exclusively in this game, but this was their, the line that really powered their team forward. Absolutely. So we, we we see the third line in response, and um, it's an interesting combination, Dan, yeah. <laughs> of Tom Chorsky, NHL 94 legend Alexander Simak, yep. and a young Bill Garrett. <sighs> and this, this unit works as well as oil and water uh. at times. Because it's like... Chorsky's a pretty speedy, but he's more like a checker. He he's not really an offensive. Like a Pandolfo guy. guy. He had tw- well, he had 21 goals this season, so he, it wasn't like he had no offense. Like Pandolfo. okay, fine, a Madden guy. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, uh, that's you're you're kind of in the yeah, ballpark yeah. there. C-Mac is an odd name because thanks to the video game NHL '94, if you played as the Devils, he's your starting mm-hmm. center. Um, but C-Mac is he 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 didn't last in New Jersey very long. He clearly had talent. But it wasn't, like, never fully realized. But they tried with him. And then Garrett, obviously, we go on to have a great career, but mostly not with New Jersey, um, since he started off as a youngster here in New Jersey and would eventually be traded for um, later on for Jason Arnott. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, Garon, Garrett went on to have a very great career, but, you know, the Arnott trade was kind of yeah, you know, Scored so, a pretty big you know, goal here or there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but this 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 unit did not play well, and they actually and then poor poor C-Mac here, he commits a bad, he makes a bad turnover a two a couple of a couple minutes after the Steen goal. Yeah, I would say this line is directly responsible for the second Winnipeg goal. Yes, uh, there's an awful awful pass back from Garen to C-Mac, which handcuffs him and is easily picked off and read by the Jets. Yeah, and they rush it yeah, up. C-Mac tries to do it again. Orsato picked it off. They rush it up. He gets it to Emerson, who, by the way, finished second in scoring for Winnipeg this season. So it's not like Emerson was a bomb. Mm. Brodeur stops Emerson. Kachuk basically took Madri out into Brodeur, like he's Chris Kreider. And then amid the pylon, Borsato just kind of gets a stick on it and just kind of wings a backhander towards the net, and it slides into the mm-hmm. net. 
And that's a goal. And very quickly, it's 2 nothing Winnipeg Jets. And important to note here is that the Devils, at this point, had not come back from a two-goal deficit to win a game since February of 1991. As a reminder, we're in October of 1993 at this point. Yeah, they went a full season of just not being able to make the big comeback. And already you're down 2 nothing at home to a Jets team that was looking for looking some something a little more positive. Because they're they're they were on the road, they were looking for something here, and um, funnily enough, Dan, this goal I don't think would count in today. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. It's just very clear no, that Kachuk pushed Modry into Brodeur. Yeah, and it wasn't even subtle; like it was almost like a, a slew foot right. almost. And this kind of gets to the point of Kachuk being, you know, a quote unquote power forward. And what a power forward meant back then is that you had the size and the strength of a physical enforcer like player, but you had the skill set that you could dominate play and those players were just a pain in the butt to deal with because it's like if you play too closely with them they'll just hurt you but they'll also be able to make the pass make the deke make the move and result in a goal so even if you turn things into a big sloppy mess they'll succeed and if it goes into a high high octane high flying high skill sort of game they're still going to produce and kachuk was a pain in this game he was just a real pain for the devils and he was a pain for a lot of people because again he had 41 goals this season in 93-94. So we do get some occasional offense by the Devils. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Nichols set up Niedermeyer and Niedermeyer missed. And then we have Miranov pounding McLean. And I mean pounding, like actually like getting on top of him UFC style and just, you know, giving him the business. And then, of course, the Jets respond and Fedosov tripped up Eagles. And, of course, Fedosov gets called for that. I don't know why you could pound a dude, but you just can't. Trip him. Right. <laughs> I'm not the, I'm not Dave Jackson. I'm not the referee. Yeah, he had a couple of uh interesting moments this game, I would say. Yeah, there is there well, there's some background to that, Dan, but I'll get to that and after we do the first period right. here. Okay. So yeah, um, Miranov, you know, hits McLean and that this this is a battle that goes on the entire game. I'd say in terms of the Jets players, Miranov is the one I noticed most from a physical defensive side. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because, you know, the, the stereotype in hockey at the time, especially in the 90s, was that the Russians were, you know, if they came over, they were going to be your skill guys. They were going to be your speedy guys. They couldn't play this tough Canadian game, yep. man. You know? <laughs> they didn't have the heart like a good Ontario boy would. But Mir- Miranov, um, or Miranov as I keep calling him incorrectly, um, definitely was the antithesis of right. that. He was definitely a beefy young man just throwing his body around, both good and bad. And it would come to bite him at one point, but we're, that's that's a ways off in this in this uh, discussion. Yeah, until later in the game, he was doing a great job limiting the Devils' opportunities, throwing his body around, and giving them something to think about. Exactly. Anyway, so the Devils go back on the penalty kill. Claude Lemieux and Nichols were actually on the penalty killing unit. They did a very good job, too, along with Fedosov, Stevens, Driver, Danico. Another excellent penalty kill by the Devils. Um, and then we get... A breakthrough for the Devils. Yeah, and the Devils break through through John McClain. This is uh, Corey Millen hits Mironov, who, you know, coughed the puck up right in the slot to McClain, and McClain puts it in from the right side of the slot. There's a goal, 2-1. The Jets' lead is cut in half, and Fetisov gets the assist. And before this goal went in, the shots were 8-2 in favor of Winnipeg. And all yeah. of a sudden, this game just completely flipped. 
Yeah, and this was an excellent shot by McLean too. I know we've done a couple games where McLean has played in, and he wasn't really the star except for a couple moments here and there. No, he. This is where this is a game that's actually a good representation of what McLean like was as a player when he was on. Like he had a really good shot, and he was very skilled at where he could put it. And he put this one top shelf on Asensna, who again is not a bum. Mm-hmm. He's not a nobody. So. Excellent, excellent work to make it split the game in half on shot number three. This is this is 15. This is just before the 16 minute mark. By yes. The way. So the Devils <laughs> were that dominated in the run of play. And um, it only goes from bad to worse for Winnipeg. Yeah. And right after the Devils make it 2-1, they quickly make it 2-2 as Claude Lemieux ties it up with a little backhand shot in front. And what happens is it hit a cluster of players in front, which included um, Her- uh, this name is tough to pronounce, but it's Harris Vitolinch, and it it hit him in front, and he can't. Uh, sorry, it didn't hit him in front, but he was tied up with Lemieux and could not handle Claude Lemieux. And a backhand dribbles yeah. through Asensa, and 44 seconds later, the game is tied at two. It's actually even bigger than this. Uh, Shannon gets picked off by Madri in the neutral zone. He moves it over to Zelipukin. He dumped it in. Nichols put on an awesome forecheck, like a really good one against Teppo Newman, who, by the way, had a very good career in yeah, this Yeah, he's league. no slouch. Yeah, yeah he, he is a very good player. But Nichols, you know, forechecked him almost to a point where I almost want to, you know, make a clip of it and say, this is how you're supposed to forecheck. This is what you're supposed to do. He, he eventually gets the puck free. Zelipukin is able to collect it from the sideboards. He fires it in uh, close again to the cluster of players and Lemieux wins the battle in front. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's more, it's more than just like a good bounce for Lemieux. Like there was some solid work put in by that line. And I would go as far as to say, even right now, Dan, that this line by Nichols, Zelipukin and Lemieux was easily the devil's best line. Of the mm-hmm. game. Up till this and point of the game, I'm happy. for sure. Yeah, so, you know, the, the broadcasters got on Vidalinch, which appropriately so, he was not looking the right way. He was not looking at Lemieux. He was focused on the net. Yep, yep. Um, but, but this was not a good rebound by Asensa either. This this was this was a um, this is one I think he'd rather have back. Yeah, it was definitely a tough one for him to give up, and especially in quick succession after that first one, any momentum that Winnipeg might have had with the start that they got was pretty much evaporated at that point. And you know they they bounce back to have a few more opportunities before the end of the first period, but they really were not never as strong in this game as they were the first fifteen minutes. No, not at all. Uh, just before the end of the first, we get some beef. Yes. <laughs> we get some We get some escalation. We get a scrum in front, and, of course, Claude Lemieux, amid the bodies, just threw a paw at Kachuk. <laughs> so Kachuk takes the bait and starts goading with Dano. And you know Dano's not going to take that nonsense. So he, he you know, he, they're jawjacking. They're pawing at each other. There's no fight here, but the rest don't. Dave Jackson doesn't like it. He doesn't like what he's seeing here. So he gives Kachuk and Danico two each for roughing. And this is at 1945, by the way. So this is going to carry over into the start of the second period. Um, and then that's the end. Then we get to the end of the first. And um, yeah, your point is well taken, Dan. Winnipeg was the better team for the first 15 minutes and they fell apart. Yeah, then they weren't. I actually, I, <laughs> yeah, my point, my point here was where was the trap? I expected a trap. <laughs> I see no trap. And guess what? There was no trap in this game. Yeah, they obviously hadn't really bought into that yet. But I I think that's really one more play to mention in terms of, you know, Winnipeg's strength in this game. And that Jamnov just walking three devils with zero effort. Oh, yeah. He he doesn't get a lot of credit, but he really was a very 
important player for the Jets back then. I know the Jets in general don't get a lot of credit because, you know, they didn't like win anything. Mm-hmm. But the team was more than just Solane and Kachuk and Newman. In. You know, they had some solid players. Um, yeah, so anyways, let's, let's uh, take a pause here before we enter the second yeah, period uh, just to hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be back momentarily. All right, we rejoin this game in the second period. The score is 2-2 two to two after a pretty dominant first 15 minutes by Winnipeg, followed by a hilarious three minutes by New Jersey to undo all of that hard work by Winnipeg. And so 10-6 to six was the count in shots for the Winnipeg Jets. And really, this is the point where the game slowed down to a almost screeching halt. <laughs> yeah, now the broadcast did bring up a couple things were brought up in the intermission. Um, again, because Don Cherry was an intermission and they, um, you know, obviously reviewed things. And there were a couple things that they noted that I think are worth saying just to add more context to this mm-hmm. game. Uh, first and foremost, Don Cherry loves Keith Kachuk. And you're going to see more examples of exactly why. Mm-hmm. And truth, truth be told, even though he's an American, uh, <laughs> he plays that uh, hard nosed, old, old, you know, 1970s style, you know, Canadian good boy Bobby hockey Clark. Sort of play, style play. Bobby Clark, Cam Neely was a player that Don Cherry dropped as, you know, guys who still got it in this day, this day right. and age. Uh, he, he was on his uh, he, he was on his stuff back then. But he did raise one impo- other important point here, which was the impending ref strike. Mm-hmm. And this may explain why Dave Jackson wasn't exactly consistent with some of the calls and non calls he made, especially in this second mm-hmm. period. Um, so the refs and the NHL were not agreeing on a number of different benefits, most notably the pension. And Cherry, believe it or not, actually raised a very salient point to say, you know, former commissioner Gil Stein lasted only three months, but he gets six hundred thousand dollars to go away. We can't. You tell me the NHL can't give two hundred fifty k to the uh, pension fund for the mm-hmm. refs. And it turned out the answer initially was no, they weren't. So they actually did strike later in the season on November fifteenth, and they used replacement refs for about three weeks and then the nhl finally said fine we're nobody likes the replacement refs here here's the money and the ref strike ended on december mm-hmm. 2nd so so dave jackson was definitely refing this game with you know something else going on in his mind and maybe that distracted him from uh you know deciding that you know what maybe that tackle in front of the net is yeah <laughs> it's not, and other things like that <laughs> but you're right the second starts at four on four we we see steen throw a nasty knee on knee hit on Zell Yeah, he Fugan. flared that knee out Exactly. And the refs are going, I'm sorry, the broadcasters are going on about, oh, you know, it's a hit, you know, it doesn't, you know, maybe they just knock knees on accident. I, they show the replay. I'm like, no, dude, that's a legit knee on knee. Like, t- you know, Brian Marchman's calling me, telling me that that's a knee on knee, bro. And he should know <laughs> <laughs> that there was, and of course there was no call. Thankfully, Zelipukin uh, went to the bench and he was able to keep playing. And he actually did skate it off after getting initial help from the trainer and Fedosov. <laughs> Uh, oh boy. They also mentioned that there were lots of scouts at this game. Yeah, there were eight or nine scouts that they were highlighting just to start this game. And early on in the season, I guess I get it in terms of having the opportunity to do some road scouting because of the road trip that Winnipeg was on. Um, you know, maybe they had someone that was reaching the end of their contract, so on and so forth, that uh, maybe someone wanted to trade for. I'm not sure exactly why there are so many specifically for this game but i guess early in the season the scouts just try to see as much as possible exactly and on top of that you know what was also surprising is that a number of them had cigars yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I, it was 1993 i guess you were still allowed to bring your stogie to the brendan bird smoking doors yeah no problem sure i mentioned that because not a lot happens for the first nine minutes uh winnipeg 
seems to have possession and attack time, but they were just missing the net. Like Berdor didn't even have to make a save for the most part because the puck would trickle ride or go over the net or miss by 10 feet. And the Devils were just not even generating that. So a lot of this just became coming down to physical plays, hits, and of course, guys just not executing. Right. And the thing is that this period was really the start of the representation of not necessarily the trap in its full form, but really the choking out method of methodology of the New Jersey Devils. There was nothing that Winnipeg could do. They they really tried to engineer something, and that Jamnov line came close to putting something together uh, with a little um, tip in. There was a puck that went off the ref, and you know, given what we talked about, the fans were pretty pleased to see that happen as well. They applauded that puck bouncing off the ref's uh, leg, I believe. But yeah, you're right. Other than that, the first nine minutes were very blah, nothing. And they yeah. it was 2-2 two, two in shots in the second period for a while. And I think like four minutes after that, each team had only managed to trade one more shot back and forth through Kachuk and Holik. And then there was a slashing call on Millen at 11.35 of the second period. Yeah, so this this was actually a rather notable sequence of events because it starts with first on the previous shift, Millen throws a late hit on Salon, yeah. <laughs> and then there's like an offside or a hand pass or something to that effect. So on the next shift, they keep the same lines out there. Millen sh- slashes Jamnov pretty obviously, and, and they, you know, they call th- that was the call. Ironically, there was no call on McLean straight up tackling <laughs> um, Salon. I figured that was where the infraction would be. Exactly. I figured, you know, you, you don't throw football style tackles in the NHL, yeah. but no, we're going to get you for the slash. And to be fair, the slash was a two hander mm-hmm. to the arm. Like it wasn't like a little tiny, like when we say slashing in 19, in 1993, a slash is not like what you would see to say, oh, he got him on the hands. It was just a tap on no, the it's hands. a lumberjack. Oh, hack. no. <laughs> no. Yeah, exactly. When we say slash, we're talking about. <laughs> so anyway, so we get on this. So the power play starts for Winnipeg and we finally get some offense in this game. Unfortunately, it's for the other team. And, you know, even though Kachuk gets turnstiled by Dano, um, Martin Berdor is forced to make some actual saves and Winnipeg just owns the zone. And this is their one power play where they actually come close to scoring Mm -hmm. five shots, five shots on net officially, at least six attempts. A lot of Dano things that he did that should have been penalties (laughs) and would have been penalties in today's day and age, but they weren't called despite Kachuk's uh, whining about it. Right. And a little bit of slip sliding by Dano as well later later on to try and block some shots and unfortunately um that would be a precedent to something that happened later in the game but again they they did muster up a decent looking power play here and were not able to score it was the usual suspects as you said that were participating for Winnipeg but yeah they, they weren't able to push anything through and a huge kick save by Brodor at the side of the net was um just a key to keeping this game tied at this point and then uh we start to get a little chippy as ty domi gets a rough for um for jamnov for roughing jamnov he takes him out of the play and uh takes a penalty there he actually gets an unsportsmanlike conduct for it well here here, here's what happened so the devils kill this uh penalty right Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason I guess Ty Domi was thought to have some hockey skill, so he was on the second unit. He stayed on. Lemieux dumped Jamnov, and there was no call for that. Domi took exception to this and and, and went to the ref and, and probably said some words that we can't say on this mm-hmm. show. 
and, and the refs were quick to call the unsportsmanlike conduct. And that was another thing that Cherry actually brought up during the first intermission. He said that he was complaining that the refs were too quick <laughs> with unsportsmanlike conducts, too quick with the tees. Well, um, it, it, I guess the refs, Dave Jackson was under the impression of, well, look, in a couple of weeks, I might not get paid anymore. We're going to be on strike. So, you know what? I'm not taking any guff from any uh, players to, in mm-hmm. this game. And sure enough, Domi learned that lesson. So he got to sit in a box and the Devils would get a power play. And 35 minutes into the total game, we get the Devils' 10th shot on net. <laughs> uh, it was McLean getting stuffed by Eagles. And then um, a Newman and Clear ends up in Domi's lap. Yep, in the box. That, that drew a pop. Yep, in the box. That drew a crowd. And I have to say that because not much else happened other than that on the power play for the Devils. Yeah. They really did not uh, do that. And then shortly thereafter, we get a rare mistake from Brodeur outside of the mm-hmm. net. And this was, you know, we're talking rookie Brodeur. The Brodeur we know and love, and everyone knows and some people love, is someone who is known for being a puck handler. And as a rookie, maybe he was a little green at this because uh, there there's, seems to be some sort of miscommunication and Winnipeg uh, gets a scary opportunity. But before that, the Devils actually had a couple chances from uh, Zelopukin and right alone in front and then garen actually gets a shot off that's saved by a senses glove but this play that happened behind the devil's net led to some oof, some some rough stuff and that borsado kachuk and emerson line is responsible for putting the jets back ahead three to two yep they break out after garen's shot emerson moved it to the dropped a pass to the left circle to borsado who one touches it back to the high slot by kachuk Peluso is just behind the play here. No, no disrespect to Peluso. He was chasing a trailing Kachuk. And even in today's game, like trailing players like Kachuk in this case, are just difficult to mm-hmm. defend because they're kind of in a no man's land. So Kachuk took the puck, fired it through uh, Dano, and uh, it's 2-3. Two, 2-3. Three. Two, three. It's a high shot. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, that was it. It's 2-3. It, it's it's, it's 2-3 and also... It's 2-3 against the run of play for the majority of this period. It, you know, not, neither team's getting opportunities, but Winnipeg has gotten even somehow less than New Jersey despite getting nothing either way. I, I don't know how to describe it. It just felt like the few chances they did get were worse than the few chances that the Devils got. But, again, the, the goal was scored here, and Winnipeg retakes the lead. And the Devils kind of, you know, don't spend the rest of this period responding i don't know that they they came they came close garen had a rebound a rebound Mm -hmm. that where he the net was like gaping for him but he got defended by a by a jet so he couldn't get a shot off and that's unfortunate and this unfortunately also was followed up by another terrible giveaway by c-mac to emerson Who proceed because he tried to make a pass across the middle in the defensive zone, which is what, something you never do. It, it's probably a sin in in, in all major religions. Um, <laughs> Emerson picked it off and decided I'm going to go high on Brodeur like Kachuk did and shot it ten feet over the net. Right. So <laughs> he had a, he 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 had nobody but Brodeur to beat and he missed thankfully. Yeah, and so, so the second comes to a close without really much further consequence. No, it, I, there was not really a trap here, in my opinion. It was just a lot of poor execution by both sides. I was stunned to see that the, the official count was 10 to 10 in mm-hmm. shots. I question if there were really 20 shots in this game yeah. total. <laughs> it, it really didn't feel I, like I, anything. I want, I, want, I want evidence. I want to play-by-play locks. <laughs> and, and then I want to go back to the tape and let's say, all right, let's see what's you happening. You need the transcripts. I don't believe yeah. it. 
Yeah, give me the evidence. Give me the objective evidence that this is legit. That this period actually happened. <laughs> anyway, so the second intermission happens. Cherry is still in the studio and just yaps about stuff. It's Don Cherry stuff, yeah. as usual. Um, they do a breakdown of the other NHL scores. We get more and more commercials. I know you skipped through a lot of the commercials, mm. but just in general, the CK um, – what was it? The CK, CKND. So this is being aired in 1993, and it's clear that a number of the commercials are definitely contemporary for their mm. times. And then you would have commercials that would basically be throwbacks to the early 80s because they're local commercials or more regional commercials for Winnipeg. And some of them are just old spots that just keep doing. And it's just off-putting to see, like, yeah, if you were to tell me that was filmed in 1986, I would have believed you. <laughs> but you filmed it in 1992. Yeah. Okay. It is what it is. And then we get to see the most obscene thing I've seen on the broadcast, McDonald's advertising a pizza. Oh, my God. Okay, I totally missed this, but that sounds horrendous. The commercial was kids uh, <laughs> surprising their parents saying, oh, you know, can I can I clean the stairs? Can I, you know, can I uh, stay, go to bed early? And it's also they can go to McDonald's and order a pizza. <laughs> and as a New Jerseyan, Dan, and I know you're from New Jersey yes, as well. Yes, yes. Hurts me to the soul. I don't like chain pizzas because your local spot, of which there's like, if you're in New Jersey, there's at least three within you know five miles of wherever you are in the state, and probably much more than three in most places. You know, you can get something so much better, so much more authentic, and so much more appropriate than McDonald's providing you a pizza. I feel bad for the people of the province of Manitoba that had to put up with this. And, and then when, and then McDonald's ends this with the tagline of. Whatever you want is whatever you get. And I'm like, hold on. That's that's like Burger King's motto. Yeah, and what, they what, certainly what, were not loving it. <laughs> yeah, they were. Oh, this is the sort of stuff that I, that I guess is a side benefit to watching old games like this is that when you do get the old commercials and the old advertisements, um, you get a benefit of like what things were like back then. And you definitely know that even though it was 1993, there was still a lot of older style set stuff that you wouldn't really get today or wouldn't be presented the same way like – for every Jets goal, like the one that we saw in the second period against Kachuk, you know, they say, oh, congratulations to Mr. So-and-so for the safe – because the Jets scored, Safeway is providing you a Roby, uh, you a know, Dust drill. Devil kit. <laughs> a Dust Devil. We, we <laughs> It's a better way at Safeway Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not wrong there. And what better way to – uh, to herald in the end of this game then to move on to the third period as the third period is where things get a little bit crazy from a scoring perspective. Oh, yeah. Business business picks up for the Devils and in general. Yes. Yeah, so a lot more stuff happens in this third Steven period. sets the tone right away with a big shot to start the period that's gobbled up by Asensa. And it, it's not like the scoring started right away. The, the Jets actually had another uh, power play because Lemieux took an unsportsmanlike penalty and he did that because yep. he didn't like a quick whistle that, to be fair, the referee did not have an angle on it, but it was admit like a little bit of a quick whistle. I can see it both ways. It and because he argued, he got an unsportsmanlike call. Brodeur came up huge on that penalty kill. And then he comes out of the... Yeah, he robbed Newman. Oh, sorry, what did you say? He robbed Newman. Yeah, and he... Newman was down low and he just was like, nope, I'm Martin Brodeur. Watch Big this. kick save. And then... Um, Lemieux comes out of the box and immediately gets a good backhand opportunity that goes wide. And now the Devils are really, really warming to the offensive task. Yeah, the Nichols line, you know, unfortunately, they got um, messed up by the um, penalty call because the puck was like super loose. It wasn't like it was. But again, from Jackson's perspective, he was in the far corner. He, he couldn't have mm -hmm. seen it. But, um, you know, they came, you know, 
Lemieux comes back on, and then the Nichols line just just starts picking on the Jets. Like, just Zelipukin is springing Nichols for a great pass. Kennedy hooks him like crazy. Um, Asensa swallows the shot, like, and you think, oh, that's unfortunate. And then it's like, no, they're not stopping. They're just continuing to attack. Drivers flying up the ice, which is something I don't remember recall <laughs> seeing him flying that fast before. You get um, you get an unfortunate break for the Jets, where a clearance off a puck goes into the bench, and it seemingly hits Shannon. Mm-hmm. And Shannon then goes to the locker room, but apparently he went to the locker room for something unre- somewhat related. It was bad enough that the, you heard the PA announcer at the Brendan Byrne Arena call for a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this was unfortunate. They brought the doctor. like they, I, There wasn't traveling team doctors at this point were there i don't think mm-hmm. so and and again you know it's 1993 the teams didn't the nhl was not as rich as it is right. today like today's age you would absolutely have a staff of medical doctors and you would have owners that would be rich enough that could afford to pay for those doctors to travel with you but back then the money wasn't in there wasn't that much money in mm-hmm. hockey i mean there was a lot of guff back then that the are that our hated rivals were killing the business with how much money they were spending on players and their total payroll was like 17 million dollars mm-hmm. like that's the level of money that we're dealing with here that's yeah i mean it was Anyways. different not from a uh, not just from a inflation and currency perspective it was very different in terms of league revenue because the boom had really yet to happen for the nhl yeah, I mean, say what you want about Gary Bettman and how the NHL handled business in the 90s and all their struggles and how they almost lost teams and how teams got moved. But ultimately, it set up the, the the league to be a multi-billion dollar industry. And I think if the old heads like the Don Cherries and those who wish it was more Canadian, more traditional, you know, they'd still be a million dollar sport in a billion dollar mm-hmm. age. So anyways, back to the game. We get some more beef. And um, this one we didn't actually see because it was off camera. Kachuk decided to charge Lemieux mm-hmm. in the neutral zone. And then Steven – Kachuk – Steven starts yelling at Kachuk. And then just as Stevens is being pulled away and being sent to the box for the yapping, Kachuk decides to spit some verbals backwards. <laughs> and and J- Dave Jackson decided, fine, I'm going to give you an extra yep. two. So Stevens nearly wiped out the charging call. And he was given roughing. It wasn't unsportsmanlike conduct. So I guess they didn't want to tag him with unsportsmanlike. And they gave another roughing to Kachuk in response. So congratulations to Keith Kachuk for ruining your own opportunity. And this is notable because the Devils' power play would score. They would punish the Jets for this transgression. Mm -hmm. And it started with a bit of a weird entry. On this power play, there was a moment where Driver just absolutely railed Newman in with an entry attempt, with a a dump in. And maybe he was a little slow getting to it next time, but eventually Richet found Scott Niedermeyer, who flubbed the shot, actually, but it ended up trickling in. Yeah, he scuffed it. Yeah, this was a bad, bad goal for Asensa to give up. Like. Because as you said, it'd be one thing if Niederbayer one time appropriately like he wanted to, but he had he had number two behind him, and if I'm not mistaken, number two is our our, our your boy, our boy, 21 year old Boris Mironov. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was beaten by the smooth skating of uh, Scott Niedermeyer. and again, Scott Niedermeyer just kind of duffed it, and somehow Asensna did not get his stick or his legs together quickly mm-hmm. enough. So it's three three. It's three three, and all the energy that winnipeg had has at this point evaporated completely i think it could have been some of the effects of road trip fatigue after three games to start the season early on in terms of training camp it could have been a situation where 
um, you know, they just ran out of steam in this game. But really, they, after the Devils tied it up, they just, they, they had nothing left in them. Yeah, they just fell apart. And the game basically became Devils on offense, Devils on offense, devil, Devils on offense. Whether it's um, Millen hip check, getting hip-checked by Moranov, but it leads to a Devils attack, and Rishay getting a good shot on that. Then, and then we get another breakthrough and another bad moment for Bob Asensio. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, C- C- oh yeah, go ahead. C-Mac does something positive. Yay. He wins an offensive zone faceoff. It goes right back to Scott Stevens, who who moves, who skates it. He doesn't pass it. He skates it to the center point and just decides to fire a wrister through traffic. And it just trickles in. And the broadcasters are going, um, oh, you know, maybe that should be uh, C-Mac's deflection. And then they, they contend it should have been Chorsky's goal because Chorsky is seen, like, taking a whack at uh, a sense. Yeah, his stick was in the neighborhood. Went in. Yeah, but I'm, I've seen the replay, and I think it's just a case of Asensio just left his mm-hmm. leg up. <laughs> he 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 got it – like if he got his leg down upon impact or before impact, routine save. Right. We're not talking about right, this. Right. Instead, it's another trickler through his leg, and it's now 4-3 New Jersey. And this, this comeback is happening, Dan. Yeah, and as we mentioned, keep in mind – they hadn't come back from two goals down, uh, or sorry, from trailing by two goals in the first to win a game since February of 91. All of a sudden, they're leading this game, and you'd, you'd think, you know, maybe with the lead, score effects would kick in and they get a little nervous. No, no, no. That's not the case. No. Things got a little bit testy for for a while through who else but Ty oh, yeah. Domi. Yeah, so here's the situation. This is on the shift after Stevens's goal. Stevens absolutely flips, and I do mean flips. This is not like hyperbole. Like Domi does a full head head over butt flip yeah. from a hip check, a hip check, not a, not a shoulder, a check, clean not hip a check, elbow. even by today's a standards. Very clean. Yeah, this would be a totally one hundred percent clean hip check. Domi pops up, has it, throws his gloves off, and starts trying to fight Stevens, who just skates away like NASA and not interested. Yeah. <laughs> And then Peluso flies in with his gloves off and starts trying to fight Ty Domi. This does not go well for Mike Peluso. Domi wins the fight. He is skirted to the box while making a do the hustle sign (laughs) with his his hands. And because Peluso decided to fly in and and fight the man, he he gets the instigator. So Peluso gets 17 minutes for his efforts and Domi gets 15 minutes plus... I guess the feeling of beating up Mike Peluso and gesturing to the crowd. <laughs> yeah. And, and this was, you know, initially Winnipeg fed off of this energy a little bit. They managed to get like a shot or two based on the fuel of this. And then very quickly things settled back into the rhythm that they were in. Yeah. I mean, Thomas Dean was beefing with Scott Stevens in front. I was, I was waiting for the penalty to be called on either of them. Cause they were just bodying each other. And, you know, Bredor made a nice save on Moranov in front, but it was another kill. And then we get um, shortly after the kill, the Devils go back on the attack and then we get Bobby Holik making a move. Dano dumps in a puck. Holik wins the puck and he just tucked it in. And it turns out it was helped out by everybody's favorite Soviet Union born, a big Russian physical defenseman, Boris Moranov. He wanted to body up Holik. Instead, he dragged his uh, left skate and the puck went in off the left mm-hmm. skate, Dan. Mm-hmm. It, it fooled a sense. A little own goal to, to pile on here with what the Devils were doing. And all of a sudden, it's 5-3 New Jersey. And um, 
you know, in a lot of situations that would be pretty comfortable, but the the Jets managed to get back within one as this is something that I hadn't seen or didn't remember seeing, and I don't think it happened too many times in his career, but Niedermeyer completely misplays the puck behind the net as Emerson, um, you know, just Niedermeyer expected him to go around the net. He just kind of followed him behind it, coughed the puck up to Emerson. Emerson walked out in front and some quick hands led to a uh, upper corner goal against Brodor. He was just standing alone in front and beat Brodor one-on-one. It's actually worse than that. Okay. <laughs> It's worse than that because after Holik's goal, Chris King decides, I'm going to take down Lemieux. Mm-hmm. And then Kennedy takes down Zelopukin. See, even the broadcasters are making me mispronounce his name. It's not because I'm mispronouncing it, Dan. It's the I'll take your word for it. Don't worry. <laughs> anyway, Chris King gets called. They don't call Kennedy, but they called Chris King. So Chris King's in the box, and the Devils have a power play. This power play is not going anywhere. And then the puck is cleared. Niedemeyer is going to win the race for this puck. By like 20 feet mm-hmm. and for Emerson is just chasing him like just like routinely chasing him and as you said Dan he makes a mistake he drops the puck he, he like drops the puck behind the net Emerson steals it goes around and just roofs it so it's 5-4 with a shorty yeah and you know that's if you're in control of the game the last kind of goal you want to give up is a shorthanded one but Exactly. You know, luckily, in the long haul, it didn't really bother the Devils too much because on that same power play, the beautiful combination of Nichols to Lemieux and back to Nichols led to a goal from the slot for Bernie Nichols. Yeah, this this was a well-set-up play, and it was actually salvaged the power play because the Jets had two more opportunities shorthanded where Niedemeyer actually stopped them properly. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right, near the end of this power play um, – Lemieux and Nichols just get set up and, you know, Nichols just hammers in a great shot. It goes in five hole. My note here is that Asensa sucked in this <laughs> game. That was a bad goal to allow, but it was a great shot by, by Nichols. And I, I, I really don't think, I really do think Nichols is, you know, he has over a thousand points in his career. He didn't do a lot of it in New Jersey and he wasn't in New Jersey very long, but you know, he does deserve a little bit of credit for being a top scorer for a team that kind of needed one back in those in, in that and era. And being a, you know, they, this was an example. They said that. he was a power play specialist, and this is a good demonstration of exactly why and how he specializes in it. He really just parked in front of the slot, and he was. It seemed like he was so overwhelming physically to anyone in the slot in Winnipeg that they just didn't even bother covering him because he was able to pretty freely pass back and forth with Lemieux. Yeah, definitely. And it, it was just well, well set up. And the Jets were just out of sorts at this mm-hmm. point. Like this, this was, if the shorty was going to inspire them, this one deflated them. And I do mean deflated because after this power play, we get a two on one with C-Mac and Garen and um, Garen decided to keep it for, for a shot. And well, he just gets stopped. <laughs> um, the Jets have like one other scoring chance for the rest of the game. Stevens just straight up denied Kachuk in front like a boss. Asensa gets pulled, but the Devils break out. And Millen scores an empty netter to make it a 7-4 final score. And there you go. And to to close out a five-goal period by the Devils to come back and win their fourth in a row. Which, and it brought them, as you said, to 4-0-0. Winnipeg dropped to 1-2-1. And again, this is the very end of the game, which is that moment where the broadcasters remind us, listen, this Devils team 
wasn't expected to make the playoffs by a lot of people, but in this game, they looked pretty good, so who knows what might happen. Obviously, we all know what happened, but it's something that it's important to remember what the expectations were going into this whole season and how surprising it was for people to see how potent the Devils were playing, not just to start the season, but how quickly they were able to generate offense. Yeah, and it would continue throughout the season as well, as the Devils finished with 306 goals. That's the most in the Eastern Conference in the 1993-4 season, and second only to the mighty Detroit Red Wings that scored an amazing 356 goals as a mm-hmm. team that year. That's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> yeah, the Devils, and with the success of eventually having the trap being implemented and Martin Brodeur being Martin Brodeur, and Chris Terreri doing a pretty decent job as the 1B goaltender in this tandem— mm-hmm allowed only 220 goals. So like the Devils, this was very much a watershed year for the New Jersey Devils as a franchise and as a team. And But to your point, back in October, the, the narrative was pretty clear and it was fair to think that way because Herb Brooks got the team to make the final playoff spot in the Atlantic Division at the time with finishing fourth. They got bounced in the first round. Herb Brooks gets fired. All right, so what do you do here? Like what do you need to go to get going? Do you put your faith into Martin Bordor? Do you go back to Chris Terreri and Peter Sardorkowitz? You know, who, you know, who, you know, is Scott Niedemeyer going to step up further? You know, like there's a lot of questions surrounding the team. And it turned out that how the Devils answered him were the right ones. I mean, weirdly and, enough, uh, it you got to see that. In this it kind game. of feels like this season for New Jersey going into it, right? It, it kind of feels like, okay, there's a lot of question marks and we're, we're pretty sure this team's not, not great given what we've seen before, but there's a lot of new names, a lot of new faces, and um, maybe they'll be able to put something together if everything goes right. And unlike this year, everything did go right. Everything did, you know, for the most part during the regular season, everything went right. They, they managed to really find a winning formula as a franchise at that point. And unlike this season where everything went wrong, this was, they got the contributions from the young guys who were X factors. They got, um, you know, a Calder performance from Martin Brodeur, which is probably the only similarity that holds between these two seasons. It's it's that rookie goaltender having a great season. It's just that the the rest of the players around him, in the most recent case, you know, couldn't couldn't get it done at all. But this this season was the transition, I would say, from the Devils being you know decent to not great as a team to becoming a contender yeah a consistent absolutely. stanley cup contender yep and um you know this winning streak that started the season was a harbinger of things to come throughout 1993 and 1994 and through the following for the rest of the 90s to be honest mm-hmm. with you with the exception of that 95 96 season that i'm not going to talk right. about <laughs> um just to put a button on the game here um the, the broadcast did have a post-game show um they had named their molson cup three stars of a game um, which uh, they gave the first star to Stevens, which I thought was interesting because mm-hmm. uh, I thought Stevens played well, but there were a couple of times where, you know, the defensive stalwart was being, well, not very defensive against, <laughs> you know, the likes of Salon and Kachuk, but he did settle things down and, and, you know, he did score the important goal. And just as importantly, this penalty kill was really good and he was a factor in mm-hmm. that regard. The second star of the game went to Emerson, who did score the shorthanded goal and, Again, he otherwise had a pretty good game. Um, I would have given it to Kachuk if I were a new Jet, but he did have three points. So yeah. I guess give it to Emerson. And then the third star of the game went to Bernie Nichols, which I think was fair. He was the center of the Devils' best line. And um, 
again, that was my that was my main comment at the end of this by the end of this game. Other than that, this was a great third period. Is that the Nichols line really was the difference maker for the Devils, and you know the rest of the team did okay, but it was the Nichols line that just constantly flooded the zone over and over again to start the third, throughout the third, by the end of the third. And you know I feel bad that Zelipukin didn't get a goal. He absolutely deserved one, but I'm glad that Lemieux and um, Nichols would get goals at points because they definitely earned earned their uh, keep in that mm-hmm. game. So, well, Nichols, when well you done. watch him play in general, he just he looks like that wily veteran. He's not making too many movements. He's everything he does is pretty like deliberate. You know what I mean? When it was like watching Yager a couple of years ago on the Devils, where you don't know how he's as productive as he is, but then you see him just body people off, and every movement is. It may not be the quickest movements you've ever seen, but it's very deliberate and very purposeful. Yeah, and keep in mind, this guy, we're not, again, Bernie Nichols is not a nobody. He finished his career 18 seasons in the league. He played 1,127 games and he scored 1,209 points with 475 mm-hmm. goals. He, he, in his prime with the LA Kings, you know, at 27, he put up 150 points with 70 goals. <laughs> now, granted, this was in the late 80s, and of course, you know, 80s hockey, and of course, I think the Kings got a guy that year um, that was important. Yeah, I mean, he's, but, he's um, all right. Yeah, but the point is, is that even after he left L.A. and got traded to our hated rivals, he was a very solid and consistent 50, 50 to 70 point scorer of a player, um, you know, provided he was healthy. It was a, a, and obviously he played his way out. You know, this season would be his last season with the Devils. He would move on to Chicago for two more seasons and then he would move on to San Jose to play out at the end of his career. Um, but again, the guy was just, he knew where he needed to be. He knew when to shoot the puck. He knew when to make the play. As you said, Dan, he's a guy who just, even if he doesn't exactly, even though he's not a physically imposing player, he's not a super fast player. He's not a super, he's not even an arguably super skilled type player either. He's just, uh, he's just like a guy who understands what he needs to do and where he needs to go. And in, and in sports, hockey, soccer, basketball, Knowing that can put you at an advantage, even when others around you may have more physical, um, physical and sport related talents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, credit to him. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, he stood out in this game because I think he does deserve a little bit of credit for those who remember this, this, this era of devil's mm-hmm. hockey. So, yeah, that'll put a bow on this game. It was a, another fun game for us to watch and to address what's been going around news wise in the NHL. We don't have a concrete schedule for a turn or anything. We do have a plan that was approved by the players association. And because of the um, specifics of that plan, it seems like the devils may not get to play another game this season. And of course we'll keep you updated uh, on that. And I'm sure you'll hear everything that we do as well. But if there is another game that we cover, if there is not, you know, enough NHL news to fill an episode for next week. We'll dip back into the pool and uh, make sure to mention on our post which game we covered and a link to it so you can watch along with us and kind of follow the action as we have been doing so far. Does that sound fair? That sounds absolutely fair because it's absolutely what we're going to do. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Whether it's fair or not, it's happening. So uh, be on the lookout for more news. And again, it, it's it stinks that with the 24 team return to play plan for New Jersey, you know, they'd be the first team out, but, second. or sorry, second team out. Who's the first? Is it 
Buffalo? Buffalo. Okay. So they'd be the second team out. Oh, amazing that, you know, Wayne Simmons wanted to go to a contender. Anyway, uh, they'd be the second team out, and that's a bummer for sure, but it is also not like they deserve to get in. <laughs> no, the Dallas did not deserve to play extra <laughs> no. games. No. I, I, I know they were starting to play better before the pause, but... No. It's just really hard to be too upset with missing, just missing out on the playoffs if they spend most of the season actively proving that they didn't deserve to be there. And again, just because they missed out on the playoffs and other teams made it in, it doesn't mean that every team of the 24 has playoff caliber hockey to play, is capable of playing no. uh, playoff caliber hockey. Yeah, and depending on when this happens, if it happens, mm-hmm. but when it happens, you don't know if guys are going to be hurt when they start back up, you don't know if guys are going to be how rusty people, people are going to be. You don't know how well, how you're going to handle say minor league players as call-ups, how you're going to handle prospects. Cause June 1st is coming pretty fast and you have to sign your prospect by June mm-hmm. 1st uh, that you didn't sign already from two years ago. So there's just a lot of details that still need to be sorted out, but as they come out and as they get decided upon, we'll discuss them and their impact on the Devils. And, oh, yeah, mention what the Devils are doing in the meantime since, by the way, they still need to hire a GM and a head coach. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, weirdly enough, you know, with them not being in the playoff mix, it just means that they can get started on all these offseason activities earlier. Well, they well they technically started on the coaching search, which is weird because you would think we would start with the GM first, but I'm not running the New Jersey right. Devils. So. Right. And there's been some rumors in terms of names that would fill that spot, but I'm you know until we hear something specific from someone actually associated with the team, I'm I'm hesitant to believe anything that's out there. Right. All right. So that's been our time for this week on Garden State of Hockey. Thanks again for listening. And, you know, keep your fingers crossed for a return to hockey and more current Devils news as we find out where they'll be drafting, who they'll be drafting and what the rest of this season will look like. Before that, all of you stay safe out there and um, keep watching some some old time games. Keep watching some hockey and we'll catch you guys next week. As always, let's go Devils. <laughs>